Pray with me, and then we're going to look at that text together. But let's pray first. God, we thank you uh, for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together in this place. Uh, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you that you call us <coughs> into a family of faith, that we can love one another and encourage one another. We pray that as we come together and we sit under the teaching of your word, that you would be the one who teaches and leads and guides us in all things. Uh, we confess each week as we open your word that we cannot do any of this without you. And so we pray uh, that the Holy Spirit would move in this place, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds, that you would take the eternal truth of your word and you would apply it to us today, that we would leave here having seen you more clearly. We pray that it would lead us to worship you all the more. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Over the last uh, 70 years, uh, I'm going to say this, and it's really obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. Over the last 70 years, our world's changed greatly, especially our culture and where we live. Uh, I was reading an article uh, this week that I had uh, in a file. Uh, it was actually an article from a couple years ago, but I had it in a file uh, in my desk. And I was reading this article about just the changes that we see in our culture. And, and the way that the article was written was kind of aimed at uh, advertising and the way that advertising has changed and the way that we... Uh, try to appeal to people in different areas. And so the author was talking about the, the drastic change in our society and our culture and the, the way that we experience things and the way advertising goes at that. And so they used the example uh, from 70 years ago until this article written a few years ago uh, of recruiting for the army. Uh, maybe you remember the old army posters that used to have the the I, I want you and the, the guy's face, Uncle Sam pointing at you and I want you. And they're talking about how that ad campaign and all of that was kind of built on the undergirding that to recruit people into the army is that it was a good thing to serve in the army. And you wanted to do it because it was your duty uh, to care for your country and to sacrifice uh, for the good of everyone. And, and really just the duty of, of wanting to be part of it for your country. And so then the author went on to talk about how that changed over time, and now the current kind of ad campaign of the army is be all you can be. And what they were saying is this subtle shift of what used to be in generations past, 60, 70 years ago, this idea of doing this for duty because you wanted to do it for sacrifice, to now being this campaign of kind of pushing that be all that you can be, what you can get out of it. And so that's, that's not to say, don't, don't misunderstand me, that's not to say that someone who signs up in the army is only doing it for selfish reasons today. It just shows the way that uh, advertising has changed. And, and so the point of the article was to say this, that we are now in such a consumer-driven society that that's the way that we operate in so many things without even thinking about it. That uh, the way that we uh, couch those things and the, the terms that we put them in is kind of what's in it for me because we're so used to this consumer-driven society. What do I get out of it? And so it's a subtle shift for the army to say, be all that you can be. Come and serve and be part of the army and you will get a whole lot out of it, which is true and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's shifted to be all about us. And that's kind of the, the ugly underbelly of a consumer-driven society. What's in it for me? What do I get out of it? And we start to see everything that way. We start to see relationships that way. We start to see the way that we operate in those terms. What do I get out of it? And so as I was thinking about that and uh, reading that article, uh, it made me think about uh, just the way that's kind of creeped into the church. And I say the church in general, the church of Jesus Christ, 
right? All churches that are confessing that Jesus is God and come in the flesh and the universal church. And it made me think uh, of a friend of mine years ago who was uh, planning a church and uh, a marketing firm came to him and said, hey, we really want to help you with the planning of your church and this, we think this would help you grow and we can give you some really good and helpful information. And so they decided as a team to kind of take on their services and they were going to give them the stuff. And they said, we'll go and we're going to do a lot of research and we'll come to you and we'll show you uh, what uh, your community really wants in a church. And it'll help you and how to reach them and how to get people to come to your church and that sort of thing. Now, there's nothing wrong, hear me, there's nothing wrong in researching uh, your community and understanding where people are. We want to contextualize, that is to take the eternal truths of who God is and speak truth into where we are. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not a bad thing. And so they, they went down this road and the marketing firm came back to them and they said, okay, this is what we found in your community. People want a church that never asked them to do anything. And that was seriously what they told them. Like, this is the way you will grow your church, right? You come up with some programs and some things, and people can kind of come and pick and choose, but you don't ever ask anything of them. And my friend was really discouraged by this, that that was, that was the main takeaway. This is what you should do, that this is what you should implement if you want to see growth. But what you see there is kind of this consumer mentality, that it's creeped into everything. This is what we want, and this is what we want it to look like. And so as I was kind of thinking about that and, and that viewpoint, I don't blame people for thinking that way. I heard uh, Alan Hirsch, who's a great missiologist, he, he thinks about missions and the way that we go about it and the way we reach people that are far from God. And he said you have to realize that every single person who steps foot into your church is already a well-discipled consumer. We are inundated with this at all times. And so I don't fault them. I don't fault the marketing firm for saying that. But I want you to hold that in your mind for just a second and think about some of the things that Jesus says and what we profess to believe as Christians. That Jesus is God himself that has come down to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. That he is our Savior. He is our Creator. He is our Redeemer. He is our Lord the last thing he says before he ascends to heaven is go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And that's who Jesus is and what he tells us and what he calls us to. And so I want you just to think about these things side by side for just a second. I want a church that asks nothing of me. And then hear Jesus' words, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Do those go together? Or I want to show up and I want to see what services you have and the things that you offer me and I'll decide if they're enough and maybe I'll come back and maybe I won't. If you have enough things that wow me and then hear Jesus' words, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you example that you should also do just as I have done to you. And I want you to think about that. Do they go together? The way our culture sees that, the way we've gone down that road of this consumerism, that I might step into this if you do enough things that I like and the way I see it, and the call that Jesus gives us to be a disciple who makes disciples. And the answer is, I don't think so. Not only do I not think so, I'm pretty sure no. 
And I want to show you that as we look this morning in Ephesians chapter 4. And so for this week and the next two weeks, we're just going to do a short series on Ephesians 4, just that chapter. And we're talk a little bit about discipleship and what it means and what that call looks like on us as followers of Jesus. And so this week and the next two weeks, really you could think of it as kind of one big long sermon in three parts as we work our way through Ephesians chapter 4. In this first week, big ideas we think about it is in Christ, we are the body of Christ and we all have vital roles to play in that. And then next week we'll talk about being part of a body is to know others and to be known and be able to speak the truth and encourage one another and spur each other on to follow hard after Jesus. And then the last week, the third part of it, we'll talk about as we do, we become a light to show what Christ is doing and who He is and the way He's working in us. And that becomes a light to the world around to magnify the glory of who God is. And if you look on our wall out there, as you come in the church, as you go right out the doors on the wall there, it says uh, Church of the Apostles. It says Coda, Disciples Who Make Disciples. And then it says, up, in, and out. We want to grow in our relationship with God and with one another and with the world around us that doesn't yet know Jesus. And that's exactly what we're going to look at in Ephesians 4 the next three weeks. That idea right there. It's all here in what God says and what He calls us to in His Word. And so with that, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 today. Let me just set the scene for you real quickly as we're kind of jumping in right in the middle of this letter. Ephesians is a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. And if you read through any of Paul's letters, what we call the epistles in the New Testament, epistles is just a fancy way of saying letter, and we read the epistles, and oftentimes what you see, and you see it in this letter, is the first half of the letter, so in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, very heavy on theology, who God is, who we are in light of Him, what that looks like, what Jesus has come to do. And then usually it gets in the middle and there's this hinge and then Paul begins to tell you, so this is what it looks like to live this out. Oftentimes the second half is very practical and the first half is very heavy on theology. And that's exactly the case in Ephesians. And so we're kind of at this turn as he starts to apply this as we get into it. And so here's what I want us to see in Ephesians 1 to 14 today. That's what we're going to look at this morning. The first thing I want you to see is the unity that we have as believers As we start to think about this idea of being a consumer versus being part of a family of faith, the unity that we have in Jesus is far greater than anything else. But then the second thing I want you to see is not only is there a unity of all believers, there's a uniqueness of all believers. And then lastly, I want us to think about how and why that goes together in the sense of that we're all needed to be part of what God's doing. And so let's start with that first part of just this unity of all believers. And so look with me, if you would, at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Paul likes to say, therefore. He says it a lot. If you read through the New Testament and you read through his writings, he says that a whole lot. And I'm going to say this, and it's so corny. I've heard it said for years, and now it's going to be stuck in your mind, so forgive me. Whenever you see therefore, you ask, what is the therefore, therefore? Right? Because it's summarizing something that he just said that's really important. And in light of that, therefore, I'm now saying this. 
Right? You'll, you'll remember it now, too. So next time you read it, and you're like, oh, that's so corny. You can blame me for that, or maybe you've heard it before. But it's helpful. And so we're reading through the logic and the context and what it says and how we think about it. And so if you go back and you look at the first part of Ephesians, and I'm not going to go through the whole of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 because there's a lot there. But let me just summarize what he says for you in the beginning as he gets to this point and he says, therefore, now this is how we should live in, in light of the way that we've been called. And what he says in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is he says that God, if you are in Jesus, has chosen you before the foundation of the world that he had a plan to adopt you into his family, to bless and forgive you, to give you these blessings of knowing him. But before that was actual in your life, you were spiritually dead, that you would not seek God on your own, you would do nothing to please him, but because of God's great mercy, he has caused you to become alive in Jesus, and this is purely a gift of his grace. And He's caused you to come, in li- come alive in Him through the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And He gives you access to the Father. And He's created good works for you to walk in. And we are being built up into a temple of God. And together we glorify who He is. It's a lot there. But what He's saying in this whole first half of Ephesians is that God by His grace has brought us into His family. And it's all His doing. And it's all His grace and His mercy and His love and He's the one that's done it. And so then He says, Therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now I want you to think about what that looks like, to walk in a manner worthy to the calling with which we've been called. And He says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And I want you to think about that, why he says that, why he says this is important to maintain this unity, why that if we understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us, it's going to lead us to be people who are growing in humility and gentleness and patience and bearing one another in love. And the very heart of the gospel comes to bear on this. This amazing truth of the unity that we have in Jesus. And the unity that we have in Jesus is that we are all saved the same way. We are all hopeless in and of ourselves and on our own that it takes a gift of God to bring us from death to life. And it's all His doing. As as we sit here under God's Word in the name of Jesus and what He's done... I want you to understand that we have something that unites us that is far greater than nationality or affinity or even blood. You are a miracle that has been brought from death to life and it's all because of what Jesus has done. That's who we are. That's what unites us when we gather together in this place and we sing His praises. There's a beautiful thing that God has done. Look around the room. It's a a room full of miracles of the work of God that He's brought us from death to life and it's His doing by His grace. And we are united in this way. We start to think about 
people saying, I want a church where they don't ask anything of me. Do you understand what the church is? The church is people. You're the church. It's not this building. It's not our programs. It's not any of that. It's you who have been bought by the blood of Jesus and brought into this. That's who the church is. Why would you want a church that asks nothing of you? That's to miss this beauty of what God's doing and the unity that we have together in Jesus. And so he says that we should walk in this bond of of peace and unity and we're working towards that. But then he also says that with all humility and gentleness and patience bearing one another in love. And so I want you to think about the connection between the gospel. That God has done for us what we can never do for ourselves. We are grace-bought people. And as we grow in our knowledge and understanding of what God has done for us in Jesus, it should lead to a greater humility. And that's hard for us at different times. I think when we're focused on the gospel, it is the natural outworking. But sometimes we don't focus on the gospel. And we get off into other things. And it's the upside-down nature of God's economy that the more that I grow and my understanding of who God is and what He's done for me in Jesus, the greater the humility will be. And it's the upside-down nature of God's economy in this sense. In the world that we live in that is marred by sin, is broken, our sinfulness that wants to make it all about me, in my sinfulness when I grow in competence in any area, whatever it is, maybe it's your job, it's what you do, you say, I know how to do this, I get it. Our sinfulness can quickly make the leap to I'm competent to now it leads to arrogance. Yeah, I know the answer. I got this. I've done this before. I know what I'm talking about. Right? And I think you know what I mean, right? If somebody starts to talk about something that you're competent in, that you know about, and they don't really know what they're talking about. You ever had that happen? They start to say something and you go, yeah, that's not exactly right. Let me tell you how it is. And, and there's that... And that doesn't mean it's sinful, but it's easy for us to quickly become arrogant. I know what I'm talking about. But the truth is of the gospel. When we start to see that all of what God has done, when you read through Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, and you see the glory of God's grace and what He's done for you, and the more that you grow in your understanding of that and seeing who Jesus is and what He's done for you, the idea of becoming arrogant makes no sense. But in our sinfulness, we do that sometimes. We start to read our Bible. We start to memorize verses and we start to do Bible study. I know the answer to that. Let me tell you. And we start to talk that way. That's the sinfulness of our heart. Right? How quickly we can do that. I've got all the answers. But the truth is, when we grow in the gospel and we start to understand who God is and what He's done for Jesus, and I start to think about what I've figured out. You know what I've figured out? Is that I am a mess and I desperately need Jesus every moment. The only thing I've got is to point you to who Jesus is and what He's done. And every time I open my Bible and every time I seek God in it, and I'm not doing it just to puff up for knowledge, but really seeking who God is, the only thing I come to is I am in desperate need of Jesus. And so when he says to walk in a manner worthy 
of the calling to which you've called, it will be with humility and gentleness and patience and bearing one another in love. Of course it will. Because that's what God has done for us in Christ. That He has been patient and gracious and He's bearing us moment by moment. And we have this unity that comes from Him. And so we start to think about the unity that we have together. And we let the gospel form us and what that looks like should be a greater humility. I've been reading this uh, prayer book that I got a couple weeks ago. And it's a, a friend of mine did drawings for each prayer. And it's a real short prayer and a drawing that goes with it. And there's 40 of them. And you read each one each day and just kind of think about it. And they're all really good and they've all been really helpful. But there's one that just kind of stuck with me. It was one of the first days. It says, may I cease to be annoyed that others are not as I wish they were, since I am not as I wish I was. I went, or, or maybe another way to say that would be, may I see everyone around me as they need grace, just as I need grace. Or maybe yet another way to see it is, may I see everyone around me as their only hope is Jesus, because I know my only hope is Jesus. Growing in humility and grace as we point one another to who Christ is and we have this unity in Him that we are all saved the same way. And so when we think about that image and what Paul is saying here, look at what he says in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit and just as you were called, the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. God calls us in to be part of this family that has a unity in this way. We are all saved the same way. It is all by God's grace and it is all with Jesus right at the center. But the second thing I want you to see here is what he talks about in verse 7. And look at what he says. So he just spent all this time in these first six verses talking about the unity we have and we're all the same and one, uh, one body and one hope and one Lord and one faith. And it's all because of God's grace. But then he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says we when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And so he goes through all this about unity and then he says, but... God in His infinite wisdom has gifted us differently in the Holy Spirit. He's given us different gifts by God's grace. And I want you to think about what God's doing in His infinite wisdom that He gifts us in different ways. And I want you to think about how this completely cuts off this idea of being a consumer within the body of believers. God has gifted each one of you uniquely according to His grace. And none of us has all the gifts. No one's got it all. When you read through Paul's letters, you read through Corinthians and he talks about the, the gifts of the Spirit and the body and the way that we're called to work together. And he says this over and over, none of us have all of them. And God gifts us differently in different ways. And I want you to think about why. Why would God in His infinite wisdom do it like that? As we go from death to life and we become a believer and the Spirit comes in and He begins to live in us and making us into this new thing, why does He gift us differently? 
God designed us to be relational people, to love God and to love people. We're made in His image. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have this perfect community and relationship in and of themselves. We are made in His image and we're made to know and love others. The sinfulness of our heart wants to make it all about me and I don't need anybody else. I've got this. That's why people go, I want a church that asks nothing of me can go and slip out and nobody knows me and I'm good. And I think part of what God was doing in gifting us in the way that He's gifted us is He knows that if He gave all of us all the gifts, we go, I'm good. I'm great. I don't need you guys. I got it. The sinfulness of our heart would go right back to, I got this. But that's not the way He created us. And so I think of it as, as God gifts us in different ways. It's like together we're making a great big image, like a giant puzzle. And He gives each of us pieces. And together when we bring all those gifts together and we put them together, it's going to make this beautiful picture that we couldn't make on our own. And it's precisely because God is gracious and He loves us and He knows the way He's created us and what it looks like. And so He says He's gifted us in these ways. But grace was given to each of you according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And it's a beautiful picture of what God is doing and the way He calls us in that to love one another and care for one another. And so please, please, please hear this important truth. You are uniquely gifted in the way Christ has given gifts to you and you are needed in this body and this local body for it to function to the fullness of what God has called us to be. If you can hear me, God needs you to be part of a local body. He has gifted you in a certain way for the good of others around you. You are uniquely gifted. And the incredible thing, when we start to think about how this comes together, how and why God uses it like this, look at what he says. Verse 11, And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So hear what he's saying. God gifts certain people in different ways, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. If you've heard that before, there's two ways we can talk about that. Apostles and prophets. Big A apostle were those that were eyewitnesses to the risen Jesus. They were there and they saw him and they were taught by him. There are no more apostles in that way. There's no big A apostles anymore. But there's a gift of apostle. And what that is, is, is somebody that goes and starts new things. New frontiers, thinks about how to reach the next place and how to see things that are shifting and go and, and go to those next steps. It's a gift that's outwardly focused to new frontiers and how to get to them. Prophet is the same way. There's a big P prophet in the sense of the Old Testament. God spoke to them and said, go say, thus says the Lord. But then there's also, also a gift of prophet today in the sense of not that you have a new word or new revelation from the Lord because that is closed in His Word. But in the sense of what's going on in the culture and you can take God's Word and apply it to what's happening. This is a timely word from God's Word of what's going on in our culture. 
Evangelist is someone who's great at explaining uh, to those that don't yet know Jesus the truth of God's Word. To going to those that don't know Him. Shepherds or, or pastors are those that are caring for people that are in need and struggling. Teachers explain the Word of God well for others to, where they can understand it. But he says we've been gifted in these different ways and God brings those and we should have that in leadership in our church and all those different areas. But then notice what he says. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Who are the saints? No one wants to say it. It's okay. You go, I am. <laughs> it's you. If you are in Jesus, you are a saint. And every time I say that, somebody goes, oh, I don't know about that. Makes me a little uncomfortable. I don't want you really to call me a saint. Right? None of us wants to stand up and go, yeah, I'm a saint. Right? But what that says is we're seeing our righteousness based on mine versus Jesus. It is Jesus' righteousness that is now in you that you have because of what Christ has done. And that's why the Bible can call you a saint. Not because you're perfect, but because Jesus is perfect. And so when he says equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, the body of Christ, and God's gifted us in different ways, and we're called to equip and then work together. And then together, he says, uh, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so God gifts you with certain gifts that you have, and he gives you those for the good of those around you. He gives us, gives us gifts differently but then when we're equipped and we're working together the way we're called to, we bring our gifts to bear, which are different, but our gifts are for those around us. It's like God's taking us and he's turning us from our sinful nature that makes it all about me, and he's turning us inside out. It's not about you. It's about loving God and loving the people around you. So I'm going to gift you with gifts that are for the people around you. And he calls us into that, to love one another until we all together attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so please hear this. What this looks like as we talk about discipleship. Discipleship is the body working together. Gifted, equipped, now coming together, bringing all these gifts that are here, and we begin to work together, and that's what it looks like. God's called us into this. This is what discipleship is. And we're talk about next week how we speak the truth to one another and how that begins to flesh out and work in a body. But I want to end here today just that you would please hear this as we leave. You are needed. All of you. You're needed for what God has called us to be as a church. And the idea that we would come and just be consumers... Being a consumer is antithetical to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. They don't go together. Everything that God calls us to and tells us in His Word is that you are needed and you have been gifted and we are called to do this together. And so I'm going to end here this morning and uh, just say this. A confession. There are times as a pastor that I've sat and I've thought about this and I, I hate to even admit it, it'd be so much easier just to build a church that's full of consumers. It'd be really easy. 
We could come up with some cool stuff that you can come and sit and watch. He let the professionals do the teaching, which that's not in the Bible. But you come and you just listen to us and we'll do the ministry and you can just sit here and we can all smile. Everything's good. You good? Yeah, I'm good. Great. See you later. And we could function that way. And we could probably get more people to come in because that's what the community wants, a church that doesn't ask anything of them. In the deceitfulness and the sinfulness of my heart, there's days when I go, that would be easier. But that's not what God says. And it's not what He calls us to. And in those days when the deceitfulness of my sinful heart wants to think that way, God reminds me over and over by you, this body, this people, how desperately I need you, how I need people speaking the truth to me into my life and us doing it together. And even though it's harder, it is so much better. You aren't designed to be a consumer. God calls us into a family to walk this out together that we would encourage one another until we come and grow up into the fullness of what God has called us to be. I know we feel that uh, even as elders, we talk about philosophy and what we're trying to do, and sometimes it feels like we're out of step. But I think we're holding fast to what God's Word says and what He called us to be. And so our prayer is that we would grow as disciples together. And it's messy, and it's hard sometimes, and it's difficult, but God is gracious, and He meets us in the midst of that. So would you pray with me? God, we thank You for Your glorious design. We thank You that You love us, that You've done for us what we can't do for ourselves, that You call us into a family that You begin to remake us and reshape us, that You gift us in ways that's for the good of those around us. And so often we, we struggle with all of that. And so I pray that You would speak to each person here, that You would show them the next steps of what it looks like to be faithful to follow You as we seek to be disciples who make disciples, whatever that next step is that you would help us to step into deeper relationships as we love one another, as we encourage one another, as we seek to make disciples that make disciples, that it would always be about your glory and your name. We pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.